When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's Monday, November 20th, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined by Paul Hoynes. Hoynes, the Guardians were busy around some of the uh, Major League Baseball roster deadlines last week. Uh, We didn't really uh, go into much depth or detail about some of the moves on our podcasts from the end of last week. So uh, let's break down the moves here. Uh, Most significantly, and sort of the headliner move, was uh, that they decided to designate uh, Cal Quantrill uh, for assignment, and then eventually they traded Quantrill uh, to the Rockies. And uh, after, you know, looking around for a trade partner, they they ended up with the Rockies again, uh, similar to, uh, uh, you know, a deal that they made last year that sent Nolan Jones over to Colorado uh, and brought back Juan Brito. Uh, this time they get a, uh, a minor league catcher in return. Yeah, the, the minor league catcher was Cody Huff. Uh, you know, he uh, three years at Stanford. I think he was the seventh, the Rocky seventh round pick a couple years ago. Supposed to be a good defender. Uh, has a little pop in his bat. So we'll see how that works. He, he was uh, the defensive catcher of the year in the Carolina, I mean, in the California League uh, last season. So uh, another catcher for uh, the <laughs> for the minor leagues, Joe. So we'll, see, we'll have to watch his progress. But like you said, the big move was Quantrill, um, you know, <laughs> you know, it, at, at first it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me, Joe, with uh, with, with them, you know, um uh, you know, not putting him on the roster. Uh, I was a little surprised. Uh, and then uh, they turn around and trade him. But, you know, w- when you see the uh, the kind of the second trade that ha- came down Friday, it, lo- it made a little more sense. Yeah, and that was uh, the the move on Friday. And, and we'll get into a little more detail about that. They're here in a second with Angel De Los Santos uh, heading to San Diego in exchange for Scott Barlow. Uh, and, and we'll, you know, we'll be able to, to jive up the uh, – the salary numbers here in a minute as well. Uh, but that was at the time, the, the Quantrill move seemed like it was a, a salary, pure salary dump, uh, you know, we expected to make uh 6.6 million in arbitration uh, this year for, for Quantrill. Uh, and it looked like the guardians were, uh, you know, it, the, the red flag started going up uh, in, in everybody's mind, I guess, uh, you know, when they saw, 
uh, a pitcher with two years of control and, and you know, $6.6 million in expected arbitration uh, salary uh, that they were getting rid of uh, in exchange for a minor leaguer, it, it seemed like, oh, no, is this uh, are they cutting payroll? Is this going to be, you know, another one of those moves? But then, uh, you know, bringing back Barlow, who's who's on the hook for about, uh, you know, what, $7.1 million? Uh, it, it, it seemed like that sort of made sense. Yeah, Joe, because it, it looked like uh, just from, you know, the way, uh, uh, you know, Chris Antonetti was talking uh, when he talked to the media uh, following, you know, the uh, the, the uh, Quantrill trade and then the uh, uh, De Los Santos deal. It sounded like, OK, you know, they're looking at we've got, you know, yes, we could use some depth in the starting rotation. But right now we have a, we're pretty confident in our starting five or six. We are, and you know, so Quantrill becomes a little, uh, you know, he, he becomes uh, vulnerable and, and he becomes a piece we can move. Uh, but we're not so confident, you know, in the back end of our bullpen with uh, Trevor Steffen and Emmanuel Class A, the problems they had closing games last year. Uh, so we bring in Scott Barlow. Uh, from San Diego, who has experience, you know, closing uh, and setting up. And hopefully that makes uh, the back end of the bullpen a little stronger. And this is a, a guy in Scott Barlow who, uh, you know, Guardians and Guardians fans are, are pretty familiar with. You know, when he was with uh, the Royals, he pitched pretty often against Cleveland and he pitched pretty, pretty effectively. Yeah, he was, uh, you know, career-wise, you know, he was a he was a Dodger draft pick, uh, didn't, but uh, you know, came over the he was in a, a free agent that the Royals, uh, you know, signed. Uh, he didn't make his big league debut until 2018, and he's, you know, he's pitched. Uh, he's that's where he's he kind of stayed with the Royals there and uh, pitched a lot against uh, Cleveland. Uh, he's six and one against uh, uh, the Guardians with, you know, over 30 appearances. You know, they got to him a little bit this past season, but uh, for the most part, he's been very effective against Cleveland. And uh, last season, he had 13 saves for the Royals. So, you know, I think uh, they they just, I think they looked at, the, you know, Class A's workload and uh, Stefan's workload, and and they, they decided, you know, they felt that this guy could ease ease the uh, innings pitched and, uh, you know, the, the kind of high leverage situations when those guys needed a day off. Yeah. And you, you mentioned back end of the bullpen. What does the move in acquiring Scott Barlow mean for uh, a guy, say, like uh, a James Karinchak, who was, you know, pretty highly thought of in, in at the back end of the bullpen and, and used in some pretty big situations over the last several years before, you know, the uh, the wheels started to fall off the cart the last couple of seasons and, and he couldn't, you know, maybe get out of his own head with the pitch clock and, uh, you know, just with his own effectiveness and locating his fastball. Uh, when when he was unable to locate and, and started walking guys and, and had to be in the zone as much as he did, uh, Karinchek became a lot less effective. And, you know, what does uh, Barlow's arrival uh, in your mind mean for James Karinchek? Well, I think everybody gets pushed back a, a space in that pen, Joe. Uh, Karen Chak still has an option left. So, uh, you know, that means, uh, you know, he could start the year at AAA. They, you know, he was eligible for arbitration. So, you know, they did, they did tender him a contract. So, you know, we'll have to see how that goes in, uh, if they get something done before, you know, the salary numbers are exchanged in January. 
and um, we'll, we'll see where that goes. But yeah, that's a that's kind of a red flag. Everybody in that bullpen, I'm sure their ears perked up when they when that deal went down. Uh, just going back to uh, the, the the Quantrill deal and uh, the move that that sort of precipitated that was uh, the the he he was designated for assignment, so taken off the 40 man roster, uh, so that his his spot on the 40 man roster ostensibly went to. Daniel Espino because uh, they they DFA'd uh, Quantrill and Michael Kelly in order to put uh, Cade Smith and Daniel Espino on the 40-man roster to protect them from the Rule 5 draft, uh, which is coming up at the end of the winter meetings. And, you know, that why do you think that they they protected uh, Daniel Espino? And they, you know, is, 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 does that sort of say something about his timeline or his expected timeline coming back from the shoulder shoulder surgery. That's, you know, it was a, a risky surgery for him in the first place. Yeah, Joe, I think it was an interesting move. I think uh, they've invested so much in Espino uh, and they really haven't got much of a return so far. You know, he was their number one pick in 2019. He has age on his side. He's 22. Uh, so, you know, there is a possibility for him to bounce back. Um, you know, he's had uh, arm, arm and knee, knee surge, knee problems before. Uh, so I think, uh, you know, they, they've, they're kind of all in on this guy. And, uh, you know, they, they, they didn't want to leave him unprotected because there, I, I would imagine, you know, somebody would have lo- looked at his pedigree, looked at his arm, looked at his ability to uh, strike people out, and they would have taken a gamble on him. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think they, they, they made the decision to uh, protect him. And uh, just kind of ride it out, uh, you know, when Chris Antonetti was talking about the, uh, the move to put uh, Spino on the 40 man, you know, he said that there's no timetable for his return. He is kind of, you know, working on plyo ball, you know, the, the throwing the rubber, the weighted balls and, and doing that. But, you know, he's, there, there's really no, you know, no timetable for when he could get back on the mound and when he could pitch in the games. I would imagine, Joe, you know, he had the surgery in May. I would think, uh, you know, we're talking maybe post All-Star break, maybe. Mm-hmm. I, you know, yeah. that's just me. That's just, you know, throwing a dart, a dart in the air here. And uh, but, but I would think it's going to be a while. But, you know, they they went through something like this with Anthony San, Santander. Uh, you know, in 2016, he was, you know, a big shot prospect. Uh, well, no, I guess I, you could say he was an under the radar prospect. Yeah, he was under the radar. Yeah, a great year at 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 a ball. You know, he hit like I think he had 20 home runs, 90 plus RBIs, but he underwent shoulder surgery at the end of that season. I think in Lynchburg, and uh, and uh, you know, Baltimore swooped in and got him, and uh, he's turned into the right, the power hitting right right fielder that Cleveland has been looking for. Yeah, and and, and they didn't want to get burned by by leaving uh, Espino exposed again and and have him show up and. You know, within a year, be uh, be somebody who could uh, be on somebody's major league squad and and be effective that way. So uh, I I understand that uh, that sort of fear of of losing him. But where uh, it, you know, with the the shoulder the shoulder the shoulder surgery and you know his makeup, uh, you know his velocity and all that. Do you, do you think that maybe uh, he he fits in the bullpen at some point or, or is that, do you think they would still want to keep him as a starter uh, moving forward? Or is that something that, you know, it's too early to even consider? 
you know, I think Joe, he's probably headed for the bullpen. Don't you think with the arm problems he's had and, uh, you know, the, but I mean, he's, he's like, from what I've seen, he's, he is ripped, man. He, and, uh, you know, he's, he's like six two, 200, you know I mean? He's, you know, he's, he's built and, uh, he, he's got a great physique. He's, he's strong. He's a hard worker. Uh, you know, but I would think maybe even when he got drafted, you know, scouts were saying this guy might be, you know, he might be headed for the bullpen. So, you know, I would, I would not be surprised if that, if that's, you know, the course that, that he takes, I'm, I'm certain uh, the guardians, if this guy gets to the big leagues and gets there healthy, they're going to be happy no matter what role he's in. Yeah. And, and it also has to do with, you know, what the, what the need is for the club at a certain time too, and as well at the, at the major league level. Uh, where he he fits in, you know, maybe he he comes up with a, an eye on a a start a, a spot in the rotation, uh, but they say, hey, your first opportunity is going to be out of the bullpen here. Uh, it wouldn't be the first time something like that has happened. All right, uh, as we as we move forward uh, in the off season, all these uh, deadlines with roster moves and uh, possible trades and and actual trades and and everything, uh, keeping up to date on everything going on with the club. Uh, Guardians subtext is the best way to get updates immediately sent to your phone. Uh, our, our followers, our subscribers at, at subtext were the first ones to know uh, as soon as the, the moves were made on Quantrill and uh, De Los Santos uh, heading, heading out, being traded away. Uh, you can subscribe by going to cleveland.com slash subtext or uh, by sending a text message to 216-208-4346. Uh, to get all the latest Guardians news from Hoinsey and myself. Uh, uh, sort of maybe not necessarily lost in the shuffle of uh, of all those moves uh, late last week, uh, the Guardians agreed to terms on a $5 million contract for, for one year with uh, Ramon Laureano, one of their free agents. That's uh, during this period where they have that exclusive window to, to talk to their own free agents and, and Laureano. Uh, I, I guess they, they saw enough of and liked enough of what they saw uh, at the end of last season, the final month of the year, uh, after they brought Ramon Laureano in, uh, that they, they decided to offer him a contract for next year. Uh, what does Ramon Laureano's return mean for the makeup of the outfield next year? Uh, we know that he's a, a good guy with the glove, that he hits from the right side and can hit left-handers pretty well. Uh, are we... Does this spell uh, maybe the end of the Miles Straw experiment in center field for Cleveland? Yeah, Joe, it was an interesting move. You know, he they had to, you know, they, uh, you know, they they could have non-tendered him, made him a free agent. Uh, I thought I wouldn't have been surprised if they did, but they turn around and and sign him for a one year for five point one five million, which was over his uh, projected arbitration. Uh, projection of 4.7 million so you know that kind of you know so it, it shows you that he's definitely in their plans um you know uh chris antonetti was saying you know we we really don't know you know the extent of his what his role will be until we you know the whole roster takes shape but uh, this is a guy that uh you know Antonetti credited him with playing very good defense in right field that he can move over to center. You know, I think, uh, Joe, like you said, you know, he's, he hits lefties. He had 270 against lefties last season, 200 against righties, you know, more power against right-handers, six home runs compared to three against lefties. But, you know, 794 OPS, 
against uh, left-handed pitching compared to a six-one-three against righties. So this this looks like a platoon guy to me, Joe. I, I would think if uh, if they if will if they go with Will Brennan and and Lariano in right field, that could be uh, that'd be an interesting uh, combination. I think. Does his presence on the roster mean that? If you're trying to trade, let's say, a, a Shane Bieber, that you're also trying to attach uh, a Miles Straw to a Shane Bieber saying, hey, if you're going to take Bieber, you, you have to take uh, Straw and his contract as well. If, if let's say, a San Diego is uh, looking to, uh, to acquire Bieber, uh, if they lose Blake Snell and, and need, to, need to pick up Bieber in a trade or something along those lines, uh, would would the Guardians' position be, hey, you've also got to take uh, Miles Straw off our hands. Yeah, I think they could do that. Is is Loriano an everyday center fielder? I I don't know. I I mean I, I you know he's got a great arm out there. You know that. Uh, you know I don't think he's going to be play defense with Straw, but at least maybe he give you better. You know he there's a chance he could give you more offense than than Miles. So you know we'll have to see how that works out. But yeah, I think uh, you know this opens up some possibilities on the trade front. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. If uh, if you're looking to maybe sign or uh, acquire in a trade a uh, a power hitting right fielder or you know if if uh, you know let's shoot for the moon let's say Teoscar Hernandez is out there and available or uh, even a re, uh, you know there there are other you know bats that are that are you know potential out there could you maybe platoon Loriano and Will Brennan in center field and and make you know somebody else your your permanent right fielder. Uh, these are all options that you got to go over, but uh, without knowing exactly what the the financial situation is and what the budget uh, the, the 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 payroll budget is going to be like, and and you know we're not going to get uh, I I don't think we're going to get a, a straight answer out of Chris Antonetti between now and you know the the end of uh, the the winter meetings or even into uh, you know the off season where you're signing free agents. Uh, d- does that look like a possibility that, that you could do something like that? Yeah, I think it, you know, it opens up, you know, it opens up the roster a little bit, you know, it, um, you know, where you could perhaps add, you know, an everyday right fielder and, you know, Brennan and Laureano could certainly platoon in right in center field. Then you've got Quan and left. And, you know, that's, that's probably would give it it, just on the, uh, you know, just with you and me talking, it sounds like that's could be a little more productive than uh, the outfield we saw for 162 games last season. Yeah. It's, it's not, not going to get it done with the, the, the production out of uh, center and, and right field that we, you know, we saw the guardians get last year. So uh, changes definitely need to be made and, and hopefully they're, they're being addressed right now. Uh, all right, moving on, uh, looking at uh, the the postseason awards that were handed out at the end of last week. Obviously, Shohei Otani and Ronald Acuna Jr. Uh, winning the BBWAA Most Valuable Player Awards. Uh, Otani becoming the, the just the second player uh, to unanimously win uh, multiple awards uh, 
in, in that way. Uh, I know you voted in the the MVP race. Uh, just uh, your thoughts on Otani versus uh, basically anybody else in in the American League and why he was the MVP overall. Yeah, Joe. I just think uh, you know we've you know <laughs> this guy is. Uh, I mean, you can see, everybody always says you know ball players are special. You know, and it, it's such an overused phrase, but uh, this guy is special. This guy, this guy, you know, is the definition of being special because he's a two-way player. Because he's, uh, you know, he's an he's a number one starter on the mound, and he's a cleanup hitter in your lineup. He is the best thing, and we've seen in baseball since Babe Ruth. I mean, uh, you know, I think it was hands down. It was an, you know, it was a unanimous choice. For uh, you know to to win his second uh, second uh, MVP in in the last three years, both by, by unanimous vote too. So uh, I, I, there was no question in my mind it was going to be you know Otani, uh, and uh, the only question was the the next uh, you know the next nine uh, nine nine <laughs> the next nine names on the ballot. Right, and I, I believe uh, Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon were were up there, and and you know they finished two three so. Uh, very interesting. I, I saw a stat and I saw a number that came across the screen uh, of the, uh, the the player awards, excluding the manager, which is sort of a different kind of a feel uh, for, you know, we were talking about the BBWA awards. Uh, but in terms of rookie, uh, Cy Young and MVP uh, of those three player awards, uh, all but the National League MVP were unanimous votes. So all the all the awards were won unanimously, and only two votes didn't go to Acuna for first place in uh, in the National League. So I believe the, the stat was 98% of the first place votes were unanimous uh, for uh, the 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 winners of those awards. Uh, is is that indicative of maybe a changing times because of the uh, you know the the public ballots uh, among the, the 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 MVP or uh, among the BBWA voters, or is is that just uh, you know the fact that these guys were had such outstanding seasons and the performances were were so overwhelming that there was just no question. Well, that's a great point, Joe. I didn't even I never thought about that, but I think it's probably a little of both. I mean, what Acuna does what. 40, 40 plus and 70 plus. He's a 40, 70 guy. He's not even a 30, 30 guy. He left that in the dust, man. You know, He's I mean, the... we've never seen that and we've never seen a guy like Otani. So, you know, I think that takes care of the, uh, the uh, MVP, but yeah. And I think the the votes, you know, the voters uh, having to, uh, you know, kind of, you know, make their, their ballot public or yeah, their ballot uh, public, uh, the BBWA guys. I think that, that, that probably plays into it as well. Yeah. Just, uh, knowing that you would have to defend not voting for Otani. If, even if you, you know, let's say you were the, the, the Texas, uh, beat writers, you know, there were two, two Texas beat writers. They both voted for Otani and they have to defend that, uh, vote to, uh, you know, when they, when they interview Corey Seager, uh, I think it's pretty defensible when when you look at it and, and you know say everybody else uh, was voting for him anyways, but you, but you don't have any prior knowledge of that, so it, it's pretty much what the feeling is going into uh, you know the end of the season there and, and what you're voting on. Uh, I know I voted in the uh, in the, the American League Cy Young uh, uh, you know decision, and Garrett Cole was you know by far and away the the best candidate there. 
And, and you're right. The, the, the debate in your mind becomes, okay, who's going to fill out the rest of the ballot two through uh, five uh, in, in terms of the Cy Young. So, yeah, I, I, I think the, uh, the fact that the ballots are public now, uh, you know, changes things a little bit. We'll probably see, you know, more of these runaway votes uh, in, in, in the future, uh, unless something changes in the way that uh, uh, the uh, the voting is, is conducted. I just thought it was a, a pretty interesting stat. Ninety eight percent of the first place votes were unanimous in in those three player categories for the end of the season awards. Uh, first time that's ever happened, anything close to that. So and, and uh, Joe and the big the, the, the real question is, will they you know, will they would they ever make the Hall of Fame ballots all public, you know, required required? Yeah, right, because. Required. Because guys can still, you know, kind of hide behind their ballot now. And what? Who was the guy that didn't vote for? Would Derek Jeter didn't vote or what? What? I yeah, just I know there was a recent no, election. It was, it was Griffey. No, it was Griffey. It was, it was oh, when when Griffey missed a unanimous vote by. No, it was it was Jeter too. I think uh, it was a Boston writer that didn't vote for Jeter. Yeah, yeah, I, I believe. But Griffey also, uh, Ken Griffey Jr. also wasn't a unanimous first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, somebody didn't vote for him, and and I think that was uh, uh, you know a controversy as well. But but yeah, uh, when when Jeter was elected, he was he was elected with you know one vote, uh, you know one he didn't appear on one guy's ballot, and that and was, we still don't know who that was, right? I don't right, think that right. Right, exactly. <laughs> and and but, just look, you know, go down through history, you know what Mariano Rivera was the first, you know. Uh, the unanimous first unanimous pick for the Hall of Fame. So that yeah. means Ted Williams, Willie Mays, uh, you know, uh, Mickey Mantle, all those guys, they they were not unanimous. Babe Ruth wasn't a unanimous pick, right? Or maybe Babe was in the first class. I don't know if they voted well, on him. But, and, and but you've got to believe that that one writer was probably thinking that when when he didn't vote for Jeter. Not, not that there's anything you can hold against Jeter in terms of his uh, Hall of Fame qualifications, but he was probably thinking along the lines of history, like, you know, if if Babe Ruth wasn't a unanimous Hall of Famer, then there is no such thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes. But but I, I think back to 2015 was when they they put in the you know the option to make your your Hall of Fame ballots public or not. So I think every year they're up to like 78 percent of Hall of Fame voters. Uh, check the box that says, yes, make my my ballot public. And, you know, there's uh, I think I think the vote at the time uh, at the. They held this at like the winter meetings, the, the BBWA's meeting at the winter meetings. They said, you know, they put it up for a vote. And do you want us to require the ballots to be made public? And it was an 83 to nine vote in favor of making the ballots public. But because it wasn't a unanimous vote the the Hall of Fame and the the BBWAA said uh, we're we're going to give you the option to to make your ballot public but we won't require it. Yeah, well that's interesting. I I uh, you know I I I've no I have no problem making it public. You know I, I I just you know if you do your homework, you do your research, and you you have you make a you have a a, a position take a position that you can defend. Then you know, so be it. You know, then you kind of open yourselves to the slings and arrows of the public. Well, uh, you'll be getting your ballot here within the next uh, <laughs> week or two, so uh, we will have uh, you know further conversations about that with with you, Hoinsey, uh, as we as we move forward. Uh, looking forward to those uh, conversations about who should be and should not be on 
uh, among your 10 votes for the Hall of Fame uh, this year. Uh, want to mention that the Cleveland chapter of the Baseball Writers Association of America uh, met uh, virtually uh, last week and handed out our year-end awards. Uh, we, we, uh, we chose to honor uh, outgoing manager Terry Francona with a special recognition uh, for, uh, for his 11 seasons of uh, service and his uh, unique and meritorious uh, service to, to, to Cleveland and, and baseball in the community. Uh, so at some point in the future, when, when we get, uh, Tito, uh, back at the ballpark, we will, uh, we will hand out that award to, to him, uh, to recognize him, to honor him for his service. Uh, and as well, the, the annual awards that we always give out, uh, the, the man of the year, the Bob Feller man of the year award, indicative of the, the best player and the Steve Olin, uh, good guy award uh, in in recognition of the um, player who is the the best in, in dealing with the media and uh, just the the all around nice guy. Uh, those two awards were were selected. Uh, Hoinsey, you were uh, uh, the the proponent of the um, the eventual winner of the Bob Feller Man of the Year award, Josh Naylor. Yeah, I thought Josh just had a. Uh... A, a big year, Joe. I thought his impact on the ball club was uh, you know, was really important. I thought, you know, the, the biggest thing, the biggest, uh, you know, biggest example of that was when he was out of the lineup for August with the uh, the strained oblique, and uh, you know, Jose Ramirez had nobody to hit behind him. The club went 11 and 16 and fell out of the race. You know, he comes back and, uh, you know, they finish respectable, but, you know, he just, uh, you know, I thought his impact in the middle of the lineup was, uh, you know, was enough to uh, make him man of the year. I thought, and we, we've seen him emerge the last two seasons, Joe, as, as an offensive kind of force on in, in the middle of the lineup. You know, he's, he's driving in runs. He's, he's hitting home runs, but he's not just, you know, a, a power hitter per se. Last season, he hit for average 308. He uh, set a career high with 97 RBIs. So, you know, I, I think that was, I think we're, we're just starting to see the best of, of Josh Naylor. Yeah. Basically you could give Jose Ramirez that award pretty much every year that he plays a full season for uh, Cleveland, uh, that's how outstanding he has been every year. Uh, he won it the last two years consecutively. Uh, but, you know, and it's not to take anything away from what he did in 2023. He had an outstanding season. Uh, but, you know, just recognizing Josh Naylor for his contribution, I think, was uh, was significant uh, as well. And, and you know, he's he, he sort of has set himself up as the, the future for this club in terms of his leadership as well. Uh, so it's it's it was nice to to see that. Uh, I believe uh, other players that were nominated for the award uh, included Andres Jimenez for his uh, his contribution as well uh, as well as Tanner Bybee. Uh, and Bybee uh, winds up winning the uh, uh, Frank Gibbons Steve Olin Good Guy Award. Uh, that's the the media award there. Uh, Bybee, I, I recall after sort of a, a, a letdown performance in a, a game where, you know, he didn't really pitch all that poorly uh, against Minnesota late in the season. Yeah. Uh, he was really, he was really emotional in the locker room and you could tell that he was, he was fighting back tears. He was disappointed in himself. 
but he stood there at the locker and and really sort of answered all of our questions. You could tell he wasn't feeling great. He didn't want to be there. And, you know, we didn't want to be asking him questions after a loss like that. But uh, he got through it and it just really sort of uh, showed me uh, that he's he was a pro. He did things the right way and he went out of his way to accommodate us uh, when we needed to talk to him. And for that uh, and, and many other reasons why uh, Tanner Bybee won the good guy award this year. Yeah, and you you don't see that out of a, a rookie, the way he handled himself the whole year, Joe. I mean, what, he goes 10 and 4, he makes 25 starts. Uh, you know, he's in the rotation at the end of uh, April and stayed there. You know, just, uh, he, he just, uh, you know, I thought he, he showed maturity. He was always, you know, you could talk to him at any time. He was a good quote. You know, he, he kind of understood what we were looking for. And, you know, that's part of, uh, you know, that's why we, you know, hand out the award every year. All right, Hoinsey, that's going to wrap up today's edition of the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. We'll be back on Tuesday with uh, another player breakdown, and then we'll be off. Uh, for the remainder of the holiday week, uh, enjoying some turkey and some football. Uh, hey, uh, speaking of football, I wanted to make uh, mention and, and just recognize uh, how great was it to see Jim Donovan uh, back at the Browns versus Steelers game on Sunday, getting out there, smashing the guitar, uh, having a call, have, calling a walk-off uh, uh, field goal to, to win the game at the at, at the last second. It's just it's just great how fortunate we are to have guys like Hammy. Uh, to have guys like Jim Donovan, uh, to to have had to, the the opportunity to listen to Joe Tate. I mean, the legends that we get to listen to here in Cleveland uh, broadcast these games, and and Jimmy Donovan certainly uh, coming back uh, and being in the booth after after battling cancer, uh, just certainly it was it was inspirational yesterday. Oh, it was great. It was great. He's such a good guy. So good at his, at what he does, Joe. And he's been fighting this thing forever. I mean, uh, just uh, it was so I was I was fired up with that. He was coming back yesterday. And then uh, he gets a game ball after the game from uh, Stefanski. That was a classy move, too. So, you know, God love him. You know, I hope he's yeah. you know, he calls he calls as many games from here on out as he wants. Uh, I'll tell you, no offense to the the guys that they had subbing in. Uh, you know, Chris Rose, uh, Andrew Siciliano came in, uh, did a couple of games. Paul Keels from the the Buckeyes, who was fantastic, uh, as well. But nobody gets your your juices flowing like J- Jimmy's so emotional and and there's there's so much energy in in, in his calls. I, uh, I you know I you shut the you shut the TV volume down. You you turn him him up on the radio. You got to mess with the DVR to sort of sync things up if you're watching at home. Uh, and, and there's nothing better uh, than, than listening to Jimmy call a, a big play for the Browns. So uh, lots of fun there. All right, Hoinsey, uh, we'll uh, we'll catch you back here uh, tomorrow and then uh, and then we'll prep for the uh, the Turkey Bowl here uh, coming up at the uh, the end of the week. We'll talk to you. Good then. Deal. All right. Good deal, Joe.